0: Episode 60. So, in this episode, we are going to talk about uh, the renal system. So, let's talk about the difference between the AL amyloidosis and AA amyloidosis. AL amyloidosis is basically the amyloid light chain amyloidosis, and AA amyloidosis is basically the inflammatory amyloidosis. So, the associated conditions with AL amyloidosis are multiple myeloma and valence from macroglobinemia. And with AA amyloidosis, the associated conditions are the chronic inflammatory conditions, rheumatic arthritis, and chronic inflammatory bowel disease. Also, chronic infectious conditions such as chronic osteomyelitis and tuberculosis. The compositions of AL amyloidosis are light chain, usually the lambda one, and the AA amyloidosis are abnormal folded proteins, beta 2 microglobin, and uh, also the APO pro- apolipoproteins and transthyretin. So basically, this patient has a nephrotic syndrome evidenced by edema and a high degree of proteinuria. Common cause of nephrotic syndrome in adult are the membranous glomerule nephropathy and also the focal segmental glomerulosclerosis and amyloidosis. Amyloidosis is most probable cause of the nephrotic syndrome in this patient. The clues to this diagnosis includes the history of rheumatoid arthritis that predisposed to amyloidosis, enlarged kidney hepatomegaly from the amyloid infiltrate, The typical findings on renal biopsy includes the amyloid deposit that stain with Congo red and also we are able to demonstrate the characteristics upper green birefringent under the polarized light. These amyloid deposits are seen in the glomerular basement membrane, blood vessels and also the interstitium of the kidney and can be seen on the electron microscopy as randomly arranged thin fibrils. So we can see this on the electron microscopy as well as thin fibrils. The amyloid deposit may consist of light chain AL amyloidosis most commonly due to the multiple myeloma and abnormal proteins AA amyloidosis generally in response to the chronic inflammatory disease rheumatoid arthritis as seen in this patients, is most common cause of the AA amyloidosis in the United States Now the crescent formation of the light microscopy is characteristics of the rapidly progressive nephrosis nephritis hyalinosis then the affected both the afferent and efferent arterioles is seen in hypertensive nephrosclerosis. And linear deposit on the electron microscopy or immunofluorescence are typically for the entry glomerular basement antibody disease that is good pasture syndrome, granular deposit when immune complex granular nephritis is there such as lupus nephritis, IgA nephropathy and postreptococcus glomerular nephritis. And normal light microscopy is a finding of minimal chain disease. So basically this patient was having rheumatoid arthritis and also the enlarged kidney and enlarged liver so these findings are associated with amyloid nephropathy okay now let's talk about the cardiovascular risk factors for the end-stage renal disease patient so first the traditional risk factors that is the hypertension diabetes mellitus dyslipidemia, and also left ventricular hypertrophy advanced age and low physical activity next is the end stage uh, renal disease specific risk factors such as anemia of chronic disease Vascular calcification, increased phosphorus and calcium, and oxidative stress related to uremia and dialysis. So basically, these are the cardiovascular risk factors in the end-stage renal disease. So whenever there is hypertension, diabetes, glacellular, left ventricular hypertrophy, advancing age, and low physical activity, anemia of chronic disease, vascular calcification with increase in phosphorus and calcium deposition, and next one is the oxidative stress due to uh, uremia and dialysis. Okay. So, cardiovascular disease is the most common cause of the uh, death in patient with end-stage renal disease. Although the cardiovascular disease-related mortality is decreasing in general populations, it accounts for approximately 50% of the death in the patient with end-stage renal disease. Traditionally, the cardiovascular risk factors are present in large populations of the patients on dialysis, includes the hypertension (96% of the patients), dyslipidemia, diabetes mellitus, left ventricular hypertrophy, and low physical activity and advanced age. That is average age of dialysis initiation more than equal to 60 years. Okay. In addition, the chronic kidney disease is consistent with independent risk factors for the cardiovascular disease likely due to the unique risk factors associations with the renal dysfunctions and renal replacement therapy. Metabolic abnormalities such as hyperphosphatemia and increase the calcium intake that is administrations to correct the hyperphosphatemia can result in arterial depositions of the calcium leading to the coronary artery narrowing and diastolic dysfunctions. Uremia and bioincompatibility renal replacement therapies such as oxidative uh, can cause the oxidative stress resulting in accelerated atherogenesis and inhibition of the nitric oxide synthesis. In addition, the anemia, is, uh, which is a common in patient with chronic kidney disease, is a risk factors for the cardiovascular disease and is associated with worsened outcomes in acute coronary syndrome. Okay. Infection is a common cause of death in dialysis patient. It accounts for approximately 15 to 20% of the death and is commonly related to the vascular excess that is line sepsis. But infection is less common than the cardiovascular mortality. Okay. Next is the malnutrition, which is again common in patients with end-stage renal disease, but maybe due to systemic inflammatory factors, but it's not a major cause of death. Renal cell carcinoma is at increased risk of incidence with the end-stage renal disease patients, but the malignancy is responsible for less than 10% death, okay? And study shows that the patient with end-stage renal disease are more likely to be experiencing the depressions and and suicide than general populations. However, the incidence is very low as compared to the cardiovascular disease. The patient with the end-stage renal disease have two-fold increase in the venous thromboembolism compared to the general population. However, the risk of death attributable to cardiovascular disease is much higher as compared to thromboembolic complications moving on to the next questions which is again of this uh, uh, natural history of diabetic nephropathy so first hyperfiltration stage where you see the glomerular hypertrophy increase GFR. Next is incipient stage where you see mesangial expansions, glomerular basement membrane thickening, and arteriolar hyalinosis, moderate increase in albuminuria and hypertension. Over diabetes nephropathy you see the mesangial nodules that is Kimball Wilson lesions and tubulointerstitial fibrosis, over proteinuria, nephrotic syndrome, and decrease in GFR. So this patient age and symptoms of nocturnal dribbling and nocturia and uh, weak weak urinary stream initially suggests of the benign prosthetic hyperplasia however the laboratory evaluations reveals the protein urine elevated creatinine, which is unexpected in bph alone so given his long standing of diabetes history that is diabetic nephropathy is most likely cause of this kidney disease the diabetic nephropathy presents with microvascular process that is microangiopathic that predeterminate predominantly affects the glomeruli and it is commonly asymptomatic in early stages, but it is found on routine studies. So, patient risk factors of diabetic nephropathy includes the long-standing diabetes, 5 to 10 years, evidence of other microvascular complications, retinopathy, suggesting the decreased visual activity in this patient, poor glycemic control more than equal to 7, poor control hypertension more than equal to 130 by 80. Proteinuria reflecting the glomerular damage Damage is important clue for diagnosis, particularly if persistent. Although, a positive urine dipstick check revealed this patient's proteinuria, and the preferred screening test is random urine albumin to creatine ratio, which detects the excess albuminuria more than equal to 30 earlier. Okay, And proteinuria is also associated with increased the cardiovascular mortality and concurrent macrovascular complications such as the cardiovascular disease such that, as seen in this patient, such as carotid brew and the myocardial infarctions. So yeah, you have to think that uh, this patient's uh, microangiopathic hemolytic anemia is responsible for this uh, left-sided carotid brew and uh, bilateral edema and all this thing. So it is because of the diabetes which is causing the macrovascular complications in the heart and diabetic nephropathy which is leading to kidney damage, persistent proteinuria, basically. Okay, the other options are the minimal change disease that can cause the nephrotic syndrome, more than equal to 3.5 gram proteinuria per day, edema, hypertension, hyperlipidemia due to podocyte damage, plus 2 proteinuria and urine dipstick test is unlikely to be present in nephrotic range proteinuria. So, it's not the nephrotic syndrome caused by minimal change disease. Next is neurogenic bladder which can be a urinary symptoms which can lead to this urinary symptoms and it can be caused because of the spinal cord injury or because of multiple sclerosis, is often accompanied by a bladder spasm but would not cause an elevated creatinine or proteinuria. Diabetic autonomic neuropathy can affect the bladder. However, it would cause different urinary symptoms such as decreased frequency incontinence than those in this patient's, and would not likely explain this proteinuria and elevated creatinine. BPH explains the patient's urinary symptoms and increased risk of the obstructive neuropathy such as the urinary outflow tract obstructions. However, the post residual volume will be less than 50 so, um, will be more than 50 but in this patient it was less than 50 so it is inconsistent with the obstruction. Next is renal papillary necrosis is a common complications of sickle cell nephropathy which can cause the hematuria rather than proteinuria. So it's not the sickle cell disease causing this. Okay now let's talk about workup of an high anion gap metabolic acidosis. So what are you supposed to do next? Okay so high anion gap metabolic acidosis. Associated clues can be, first, drug ingestion, so the patient might have ingested the salicylate, early respiratory alkalosis is there although, and isoniazid and iron. Next is hypoperfusion, which leads to increased serum lactic acid and also the lactic acidosis. Next is the renal failure, which increases the BUN and uremia. Next is the hyperglycemia, which leads to urine and serum ketones, that is DKA next is the osmolar gap that is because of ethylene glycol urinary calcium oxalate stones crystals may be there methanol which leads to blindness and propylene glycols so all these were the causes of the metabolic uh, acidosis that to the high anion gap that is respiratory include this uh, this includes the salicylates isoniazid iron you see that drug ingestion was there lactic acidosis you see that serum lactase increase uremia you see b1 increase dk you see ketone increase And uh, ethylene glycol, you see stones, methanol, you see blindness, and propylene glycol, you see that there is osmotic gap, okay, osmolar gap. So, this patient has a metabolic acidosis, pH less than 7.35, primarily decrease in the bicarbonate, with an increase in the anion gap. So, we have to calculate the anion gap, if it is more than 12, then we know that it's an increase in the anion gap. His uh, measured serum osmolarity often obtained in this patients with an anion gap metabolic acidosis and suspected ingestion is elevated. Like we have to calculate the osmolarity also. So how are you going to calculate the osmolarity? With the formula of twice into sodium concentration glucose by 18 and the blood urea nitrogen by 2.8. And you have to add all this thing and then you have to calculate the serum osmolarity. Then you have to subtract the serum osmolarity from the osmolarity given in the question so when you subtract this use uh amount if that amount is less than 10 then it's normal which is known as osmolar gap so if less than 10 then it's normal but if it is more than 10 then it's because of something so combination of the higher anion gap and osmolar gap metabolic acidosis is seen in the patients with acute methanol or ethylene glycol poisoning okay so the patient's urine analysis shows a square that is envelope shaped calcium oxalate crystals also okay So calcium oxalate crystals are envelope shape which are classically observed in the patients with ethylene glycol poisoning which is known as the antifreeze ingestions. Acute renal failure is a major complication of ethylene glycol intoxications and methanol intoxications can lead to blindness. So yeah, this is it for this lecture. Thank you so much for listening.